How do you mean that? Well, I mean that there are the colors and the beauties, the designs, the beautiful way things appear. People themselves, dull people, but I thought dull, appear fascinating, interesting, mysterious, wonderful. But that's only the beginning. Welcome to Strange People, Weird Worlds. Let's get this show started. Well, sad news for both of us. Uh, sad news for me: the Packers lost last night. Oh, in, in, bummer! In epic fashion, they just embarrassed themselves. So that was fun. Um, so they will not be going to the Super Bowl. But first year head coach, kind of a new team. We did pretty good. Made it all the way to the NFC Championship. So, oh, you guys have a new coach this season? Yeah, brand new coach. Really young. Damn. Team. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. I mean, for a new coach, and yeah, to get it this far, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, so not bad. Not bad at all. I think next year maybe we take it all the way. So, you know, if there's any Green Bay Packers... You know, uh, I, I've been meaning to point this out. It's it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, maybe I said it last week. I don't think I did. You know, our rival, our rival football teams are in Chicago, Detroit, and then the Minnesota Vikings... We have listeners in Chicago, Detroit, and in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have, z- <laughs> we have zero listeners in Wisconsin. Really? Yeah. Can you believe that? What? Well, no. I actually, I know somebody from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wisconsin that listens to the show every now and then. Oh, they're lying to you because it doesn't show up. <gasps> wow. Either that or they're like, they're, they have a Chicago cell phone and they're listening through that or something. Who knows? I don't, I'm, not you know, su- I'm not sure how that stuff works. My phone does this weird fucking thing. It could be because there's a guy named Yaman Ayad out there with my same number, but yeah. my phone, my location is always in Dallas, Texas. That's weird. You know, Every single time I go to Google something, it pulls up fucking Texas results. Sometimes our analytics will have a bunch of listens from like a random odd city, and I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how that stuff works, so it, I, I wonder if like things route through different areas or who knows. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I know that shit. Now, uh, I said bad news for both of us, Anya. So that, that was my bad news. Uh, bad news for you. I talked to some of our listeners this weekend, and 100% of them pulled in my favor for cuteness. What? Yes. Yes. What? Yes. Come on, guys. What? Okay, how many? Like, one? Uh, I'm... Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you listened to how I phrased that very carefully first time. <laughs> I-, I talked to some of our listeners this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, you talked to some of our listeners? Okay, we just have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one. It, it was Chris. He got his stickers and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we, we did karaoke this weekend. Speaking of karaoke, I made an impulse decision and I bought a karaoke machine. What? I did. <laughs> when are we coming over for karaoke night? Oh, uh, you know, it's in the works. It's in the works. I'm actually trying to decide if I should, like, return it. Because it was one of those impulse decisions where you woke up the next morning and I looked at it and I'm like, son of a bitch. Shit. <laughs> How do you get songs for it? Do you just download them? No, so this is the janky part. This is why I'm, like, Do you not have to really buy CDs for it? it? I have to, I had to pay money, so I had to get an app. And then I have to spend $15 a month. For unlimited songs. Oh, man. So you got to, like, become a karaoke DJ to make it worth it. 
Yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't know if it's worth it, man, because, like, the amount that I dropped on the actual machine and then, like, monthly payments, I'm like, no. I mean, can I you just... just sing to myself in the car. Ah, man, that's, that's a tough draw. Right? Yeah. Well, let's have one quick karaoke party and see how it goes, and then, um... Well, hey, I have it for 30 days before I can't return right, it, so... Well, well, <laughs> hustle up. We'll get this party together. We'll plan something for that time frame. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Chris did throw his vote in as me for cutest co-host. Well, Chris, you know, I can't say I'm mad at you, but I can't say I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to just agree to disagree with you, Mr. Chris, and uh, uh, I'm going to say that your point is invalid. Dear listener. <laughs> uh, I don't think, you know what? If you would have saw Chris's fiery dance moves this weekend, uh, you would know that his 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 vote not only counts but is is very very valid. Fiery dance moves. Boy, that that dude. He was just he took his wife on the dance floor and he was just spinning her in circles like you were seeing smoke coming up from the feet like it was a movie. What? Well, that boy can dance. See, I need to find myself a man like that. Like, come and show me the... Don't show me... Like, don't try to show off. Show off your dance moves to me. See, I wish I could. I, I, you know, I can show off my cooking skills and things like that. I want to be able to dance, and I just can't. I have stupid feet. No way. So here's the thing. I used to think that I could not dance until probably, like, two years ago. And it just came from, like, me dancing 24-7 no matter where I'm at. And now it's like, you just gotta, you know, do a little shoulder bump, do a hip hop. I, I'm starting to get a little bit. Like, I can kind of do the, like, I can hold my own, like, on a party-type dance floor. You know, like, I can sit there and I can bop to the rhythm or something like that. But, like, actual dance steps, like, to, you know, twir- twirl my girlfriend around and be the lead dancer and things like that. Uh, no, I know one trick. Um, I, I've used it for a long time, and I, I taught it to Miranda. When we dance, um, the lead hand, the hand that's out, you know, like we're holding hands. If I squeeze your hand, it means I'm about to t- turn you. That's that's the only trick I know. Okay. I got a little something, something, you know. You got a little, you got a little, little something, drum. something, 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 you know. I, 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 I mean, if I'm after like four drinks, I can give you one good dance. I can like I can do a mean foxtrot. And the waltz and the bachata. So other than that, I just kind of like do a little bit of everything. But yeah, those people can go out there and like twirl their yeah. partner around. So apparently, at um, Ben and Farrell's wedding, my two best friends—the one I—I uh, keep—I always tell people I married my best friends. I, I performed the wedding. <laughs> uh, my—I uh, I, I ended up. Just you know, I was all around. I was I was wasted for that party for sure. And my friend Harley, she she moved out of town and she she met a girlfriend. Oh God, I'm ter- I, I, we're friends on Facebook. I'm pretty sure it's Katie. I, I'm feeling unconfident about it right now, and uh, hopefully they're not listening to hear this. It's terrible. But Katie and I uh, just kind of met ways on the dance floor. And Miranda told me we just impromptu did a perfect pasa doble, um, kind of like a it's like an angry tango at each other basically. Um, huh. I don't remember what song was playing. I remember I was fucking feeling it. Like I, I was down on my knees a couple of times. Like it was like the perfect combination of just drunk and feeling it. You know, like I could never reproduce that night or that moment again. But. A sweet little sweet spot. I fucking crushed it. The whole dance floor cleared, and it was just, it was one of those movie moments. Like, it was just her and I on the dance floor. And, yeah, I'll never be able to do that again. Damn. 
There is no better feeling than having a whole dance floor to yourself. That was a good time. It was really good. It's good. We have a good time. Yeah, yeah. You have a good time. <laughs> uh, so the people in our story today were not having a good time. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you did the whole postal mailing babies last time, mm-hmm. and, and you reminded me of a good one I had up my sleeve involving the postal service. Um, I wanted to space it out from the watcher a little bit, because it's not like the watcher, but it's kind of like the watcher. But oh, it's, great, but so it's, it's another one that's going to make me be scared to be in my own house? I don't think it's... <laughs> I think more came out of it than the Watcher case, but it's not as scary as the Watcher case. Okay. Maybe. Maybe maybe it is. I don't know. We'll see. Well, just in case, I don't know if you're about to forget, but uh, welcome everybody to Strange People in Weird World. Ooh, she got it. <laughs> she got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of your lovely co-hosts, Anya Daniela, and with me today through... Zoom, if Zoom wants to sponsor us, <laughs> is my amazing, absolutely it, stupendous, not cuter than me co oh, Greg Jenner. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, she called me stupid and not cute. Wow. Stupendous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, actually, today, uh, for a special edition episode, and uh, my nephew's birthday. Happy birthday, Dominic. Happy birthday, Mr. Dominic. I am to be referred to by his request as Uncle Greg on the show. Uncle Greg? Uncle Greg. I am Uncle Greg today. <laughs> okay, Uncle Greg. And I can rock with that. You know, I was thinking about it because he's like, you know, it's weird that they don't call you Uncle Greg. But, like, you know, he's been he's a part of my life. He has three brothers and really nobody calls me Uncle Greg. I don't know why he's making this request. You know, like, the family around me doesn't, like, around us doesn't call me Uncle Greg. And my four nephews literally just call me Uncle or Unc as of lately. And Or Grunkle. I've been also tagged as Grunkle. I I like Grunkle. It's a good one. But no, not not once has anybody ever called me Uncle Greg. I mean, maybe once or twice. I am their Uncle Greg. Like, I can get introduced as their Uncle Greg. But, you know, like, my sister's not calling me Uncle Greg. My mom's not calling me Uncle Greg. So that I was kind of with him at first, but, like, he was not used to hearing people call me Uncle Greg. <laughs> Maybe it was one of those things where he was just like, it'd be funny. Yeah, but we'll do it anyways. I'm Uncle Greg for the episode. Happy, All right, I can rock with yeah. it. Yeah, happy birthday, Dominic. I love you. Happy, happy birthday. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, as I look where the title of this episode is normally written, it still says title. Uh, nice. For, you know, the, the original. I, I do the, uh, I don't go for the blank page. I go for the note style page when I'm writing the episode. Hey, you and me both. I like it. Yeah, I like the dashes and bullets and whatnot. The setup is nice and it just like flows. It yeah, helps write the episode. It is. it is nice, yeah. So it still says title uh, and then episode 54 under that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought of anything yet. I'll think of it. Oh, you watch me. I'll think of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, today we are talking about the Circleville Letter Writer. Oh, the Circleville Letter Writer. And what I'm starting to think, you you know, Florida's got the rep as being like kind of the craziest, weirdest state in America, but they have the sunshine law. That's why you're always hearing about things in Florida. It means that 
any crime committed gets released to the media like instantaneously as to where other places they can hold out. So that's why you're constantly having like man has poop on his head, runs down street with flaming gun, you know, like it, it's called All the outlander stories. Yeah. It's the sunshine, like media law in Florida, but this other state, since I've started this show comes up time and time again. And that is the state of Ohio. I was just about to say fucking Ohio, fucking Ohio <laughs> with their burning rivers, their shitty football teams, um, you just, really quickly, I used to follow this page on Twitter way back in the day when I was in high school, and uh, Ohio was always the butt of all jokes. Like, no matter what, all the people who would, like, tweet from Ohio were just some, like, backcountry outlandish motherfuckers. <laughs> so it's funny that, yeah, you're like, well, that's state. I'm thinking about it, like, is it going to be Ohio? <laughs> Lo and behold, it's Ohio. Yeah. All right, continue. <laughs> My buddy from Ohio always said, um, do you know why the space program's in Ohio? Because everyone's... Because that, that's how badly they wanted to get out of the state. <laughs> something, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> All righty. Uh, episode 54, title. In the 1970s, several residents of Circleville, Ohio, began receiving letters from an unknown individual. The letters contained many personal details of the townsfolk's lives and even hinted at a number of crimes and scandals perpetrated by important members of the town. These letters would continue all the way into the 90s, leaving in its trail death, attempted murder, and even a possible false imprisonment, all while the true identity of the Circleville writer is still a mystery. And that's the story, guys. Thanks for coming in. Um, that was it. <laughs> I worked hard on that one. What a great episode. Uh, Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're we're going to win a potty for that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought I'd make up like a podcast sounding award for that, but you know, potty would obviously not be a good choice. No. no, no. A casty. We're going to win a casty for that one. Um, the letters began in 1976 when numerous Circleville residents began to receive them. The letters would contain personal information about the recipient. Some even issued threats demanding that they stop whatever it is they were accused of. Some of their letters referred to murders, affairs, and other crimes. We're going to kind of dial in on one citizen of Circleville, Ohio. During the summer of 1977, Mary Gillespie, a school bus driver, began to receive letters which accused her of an affair with the school superintendent, Gordon Massey. Ooh. Yeah, saucy. Yeah, she's getting real shy. <laughs> the letters demand. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, I picture like the old man from Family Guy. <laughs> Real, Real saucy. You coming to my basement? Got popsicles. Oh boy, we have a good time. We have a good time. <laughs> the letters demanded she stop the affair, and the writer told Mary that he she had also been observing her home and knew that she and her husband had children. She said that this is not a joke and should be taken seriously. I'm sorry, he or she said that this is not a joke and should be taken seriously. Uh, 
The letters were postmarked from nearby Columbus, Ohio. None of them had return address. Not knowing what to do, Mary kept the secret from her husband. You're already starting off on the wrong foot, Mary. Yeah, why would you keep that secret from your husband? Girl, uh, you gotta be honest. Right? Uh, she she still claims her innocent. She just say, you know, she didn't want to, like, bother her husband with this and, you know, hoped it would just go away. Lesson learned. Right? Eventually, her husband, Ron Gillespie, would receive a letter telling him that, quote... If he didn't inform the Westfall School Board about his wife's affair with Gordon Massey, that he would be killed. Oh! Right? What the wow. fuck? That's some outlandish fucking shit. Like, this, this guy's already got it. You just dropped an affair on this guy, and now you're threatening his life, too? Like, what a day to be Ron Gillespie. God, poor Ron, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so... Mary convinces her husband that she wasn't having an affair, and they decided to keep the letters secret for the time being. About two weeks later, more letters arrived, and the writer threatened to go public with the affair, telling the Gillespies it would be broadcast on TV, CB radios, and even billboards. Okay. You know, this, this is pre, pre-internet trolling going on in the 70s. Oh, man. So they are probably, like, shaking in their shoes. Right? And for a small town, like, I mean, an affair is a big thing. It's a big deal. It's big, a big, big deal. deal. Yeah, yeah. It's like murder. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's feeding that, that gossip fire for sure. Well, unsure of what to do, they involve Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul Freshour, as well as Paul's sister. So, just so you got the cast straight, you have Mary and Ron Gillespie. You have Mary's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul Freshour, as well as Paul's sister. Mary believed that she knew who was sending the letters and told Ron about a man named David Longberry. (laughs) (laughs) David Longberry. Longberry. A fellow school bus driver who had become disgruntled and was jealous when uh, Mary had denied his romantic attempts at her. Ooh. Right? Mary's in high demand, apparently. Mary, Mary, Mary. Must be be one hot school bus driver in that small town. Making around. <laughs> Not picking up them kids, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Ooh. So, they decide to compose a series of letters, non-threatening, but basically saying, we know who you are, and we know what you're doing. Now stop. Uh, Paul Freshour would write all five letters and send them. After that, it seemed like it was successful. Uh, it was about three or four weeks. No letters. Looks like they did it. Go team go. Go team go, right? Mary just saved her little promiscuous hiney. Wrong. Oh! oh. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about Mary. <laughs> something about Mary. Uh, 
It would seem the letter writer merely took time to think of a new plan of attack. Mary began to notice large signs were placed around the town, which referred to Gordon Massey and the Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter, specifically that they were involved in a sexual relationship. What? These naturally caused much distress for the Gillespie family, and Ron began getting up early before work so he could drive around town and remove the signs before his daughter saw them on her way to school. So now this random dude is pulling their daughter into it? Yep. Yep. Ew, what a little freakily. That's not cool. Right? Not cool. That's not even, like, funny to joke about. Not at all. And as you can imagine, uh, Ron's probably pissed off. Yeah. And on the 19th of August in 1977, he was at home when he received a phone call from somebody who said they knew his truck and they knew where he lived. And an argument ensued. Uh, Ron must have thought he recognized the voice because he became enraged. And he retrieved his gun, kissed his daughter goodbye, left in his pickup truck. And several minutes later, his truck was found crashed into his tree, crashed into a tree. Ron was dead at the wheel, and there was one bullet fired from his gun. What? Right? What? So, uh, like, uh, uh, suicide murder? All at once, he gets a phone call, flips out, grabs his gun, kisses his daughter goodbye, hops in his truck. Minutes later, he's crashed into his tree within a mile of his house. Dead. One shot fired from his gun. Was there any gunshots on him? Nope. So he died from the impact? Yes. Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe led the investigation. Initially, the sheriff agreed that the death was suspicious and probably the result of foul play, but later changed his mind and claimed tests revealed Ron had been drunk at the time of his death. These tests apparently confirmed his blood alcohol level was 0.16, which is over twice the legal limit. Um, According to Lawyers.com, it would take a 160-pound person four drinks to reach that level. However, his family would dispute this, claiming Ron hardly drank and didn't seem drunk when he left in a a vicious rage with his gun. Well, and I was going to say, like... The only person who saw him leave was his daughter, correct? Uh, I'm pretty sure his wife was home, too. Uh, He just kissed his daughter goodbye. I mean, Mary's opinion at this point is invalid, because Mary's a little promiscuous little sleuth over there. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what to think about Mary. Yeah, man, poor Ron. God, first you get faced with this shit with your wife, then that shit with your daughter, and then... But, yeah, I mean, what do you think? Like, they're getting threatening letters saying, I know where you live. The only thing about this, in our day and age, we have cell phones, and it could be easy to be outside of somebody's house and call them and antagonize them. Yeah. That was not the case in 1977. He's getting a phone call from somewhere. At best, it's from a payphone. Which could be down the road. Yeah, I'm not sure how frequent they were at the time. 
So could somebody have called called Ron, antagonized him to the point where he grabs a gun and leaves the house? This person is watching the house or working for somebody who is watching the house. Maybe they have a walkie-talkie or something like that. And now all of a sudden somebody kind of runs Ron off the road. He, you know, maybe he fires one shot. and I, Who knows? Yeah, I mean, the fact that one single bullet has, was gone, it could be the fact of that maybe it was a game of, like, cat and mouse on the road. He's trying to either run that person off, he pulls out his gun, he lets off one round, and then that was, like, game over for him, and then he loses control of his truck. Yeah. But, wow. Um, and from what I know about drunk driving, had he been drunk, he would actually have a better chance of surviving that crash. Uh, I I don't know what I think about this yet. Um, we'll continue on, but um, I'm not sure if he was drunk or not. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know my final verdict is yet. Um, the sheriff kind of changed his stance on it halfway through, and that could be because of evidence revealed, or it could be because of something else. Hmm, maybe the sheriff is, is, on, is in on it. Maybe. You never know with those small towns in the 70s. Whew. Yeah, yeah. You never Some know. Ask backwards law enforcement. You never know what they're trying to cover up or who they're trying to cover up for. Or who they got paid from. Yep. A suspect was questioned, passed a polygraph test, and was eliminated by Sheriff Radcliffe, who ruled Ron Gillespie's death an accident, and the pickup truck was immediately disposed of at the junkyard. Kind of suspicious, too. After After this, several Circleville residents began receiving letters claiming that Sheriff Radcliffe was involved in a cover-up over Ron Gillespie's death. They also accused the sheriff of mishandling an investigation into the Pickaway County coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, who had been accused by several children of child molestation. And now the other shoe drops. So the, the coroner is the person who later comes up with the blood alcohol thing. If this let if these letters are true, the sheriff is covering up for the coroner. Is this a you scratch my back, I scratch yours situation? That's what it's starting to seem like. Well, an inquiry by Sheriff Radcliffe found Dr. Carroll was innocent of the claims and no action was taken. During this time, and we will get back to that. During this time, Mary Gillespie's sister-in-law and her husband, Paul Freshour, separated. He learned his wife was having an affair, and after hiring a private investigator, he filed for divorce and gained custody of the couple's children. Karen moved out of the family home and began living in a trailer in Mary Gillespie's backyard. This is also possibly very important when we're talking about the who's and why's and what may be's at the end of this. Um, because she was cheating on Paul, Paul takes everything in this divorce, the house, the children. You know, Man, sh- what is up with these women in this small mm-hmm. town? Right? How can you keep it together? Right? So, at this point, you know, Ron's been dead for a while. 
Mary Gillespie eventually admits to her relationship with Gordon Massey, but they claim it did not start until after the letters first began. Hmm. Well, 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 suspect there. Yeah, a little bit. Hey, remember when everybody said we were, uh, you know, banging? You want to just, uh, you, you want to try it? <laughs> you want to just, you know, yeah. make the rumors true? I mean, you, we might as well. She continued to receive threatening letters even after her husband's death. And in February of 1983, she was harassed along her bus route. Once again, the letter writer began placing threatening signs next to the road. And eventually she had enough. On February 7th, 1983, she pulled over, got out of the bus, and pulled down the sign. As she did, she noticed it was attached to a box. Being that she was working and had a bus full of children, she says she just grabbed it all and put it on the bus. When she got home, she would further investigate the sign in the box, only to realize that it was booby-trapped to kill her when she took down the sign. The box consisted of a small twenty-five caliber pistol inside. Uh, it was held in place by, like, that spray foam kind of stuff you, like, insulate with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a string attached to it, and the barrel of the gun was pointed on the wall of the box, and the box was about chest height uh, attached to the sign. Holy shit, so someone's trying to kill her. Yes. Wow. The police investigated and noticed that somebody had attempted to remove the serial number on the gun, but the lab examination of the gun was still able to determine the serial number or determine that it determined who it belonged to. Um, can you guess the owner? Mary? Close. Her ex-brother-in-law, Paul Freshour. What? Whilst living on her property, Karen Freshour, his ex-wife, told Mary Gillespie her suspicions that Paul was writing the obscene and threatening letters attributed to the Circleville writer. Mary then went to Sheriff Radcliffe with these suspicions on February 25th, 1983. And he asked Paul to meet him. Oh, sorry. I thought that was written weird. Mary then went to Sheriff Radcliffe with these suspicions. And on February 25th, 1983, the sheriff asked Paul to meet him at the courthouse. Sheriff Radcliffe requested Paul try and copy the handwriting from some of the letters and also repeat them verbally. Now, just so you understand what I just said, a handwriting test is not uncommon, and you generally tell somebody what to write. Sheriff Radcliffe put these letters in front of him and had them write it out exactly how they were written. All these letters, um, I kind of forgot to mention at first, they're written in block lighting, writing, full uppercase block writing, like squares and straight lines. So kind of easy to copy. And um, so Paul does, and uh, the sheriff also asked him to show him where he kept his gun. And Paul took him to the garage where the gun was kept and told him the weapon had previously been stolen. 
After this, they both returned to the courthouse, and Sheriff Radcliffe arrested Paul Freshour and charged him with the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Paul's trial began on October 24, 1983, and although he was never charged with writing the threatening letters, they did become a crucial part of the evidence against him. A lot of fucked up things in this case, in this case against Paul. Holy shit, yeah. Oh, my dude. The prosecution, or the prosecutor, Roger Klein, referred to thousands of letters attributed to the Circleville writer during that trial. But the judge ruled only 39 of the letters would be allowed into evidence. These were primarily letters sent to Mary and her husband, Ron, which the prosecution hoped would provide enough evidence that Paul had written them. A handwriting expert testified the letters written by Paul, the one that the sheriff made him copy, were a match to the original letters. Uh, Also, it should be said that the judge told Paul if he wanted to take the stand and testify in his own behalf, he would make all of the letters admissible in court. And if Paul didn't take the stand, it would stay to the 39 letters. Wow. Pretty weird. Yeah, very weird. Mary also testified her belief that Paul was guilty after his wife visited her with those suspicions. And even more damning, Paul's employer would testify that Paul was not at work the day the booby trap was found. Although Paul did have an alibi for most of the day, Like I said, he was not allowed to take the stand in his own defense. Paul Freshour would be sentenced to 7 to 24 years imprisonment at the Oakwood Correctional Facility. Uh, Paul would still proclaim his innocence from behind bars, and while serving his sentence, would even begin to receive letters from the letter writer who stated their intention of keeping him locked up. He protested his innocence and felt he had the letters to prove it. Other residents of Circleville and Pickaway County continued receiving letters postmarked from Columbus, Ohio. So the sheriff goes to the warden saying, he's still getting letters out, stop him. So they put Paul in solitary confinement. This is like, this is meant for severe punishment, you know, and people go crazy in solitary. Well, whilst Paul Paul was in solitary in Lima, Ohio, letters from Columbus continued to arrive in the mailboxes of Circleville, Ohio. Some of these letters included accusations of the prosecutor, Roger Klein. The Circleville writer threatened to dig up the bones from the grave of a deceased baby and mail them randomly if the police failed to investigate Klein over his involvement in the murder of a pregnant school teacher. The prosecutor was at the time a court judge, and some believed he intentionally held back the majority of the letters because some would reveal his involvement in the murder of the school teacher he had gotten pregnant, which would have ruined his career. The police investigated and questioned the parents of the deceased baby 
and requested their silence on the matter. However, they later spoke with an Ohio TV station about the incident, who confirmed that the accusations were true. Wow. Later, more children would come forward to accuse Dr. Ray Carroll of molestation. However, the prosecutor, Roger Klein, claimed that the statute of limitations applied and he was never charged. What? Ohio. Lot oh, no. A lot of back scratching going on. Oh, Ohio. This is why you guys deserve the award of the most ass backwards state. Right? That's why your football oh, teams suck. But if you're a listener in Ohio, we love you. Yes, if you're a listener, we love you. You're if out. you're not a listener, still love your soul, but you just live in a weird state, man. You live in a very weird state. Man, right? So, we are now up to 1990, uh, December, almost 1991. Paul Freshour, for the first time, would become eligible for parole. And despite being locked up in solitary and even receiving his own letters, he was denied parole because of showing no remorse. And as the parole board said, you even continued writing letters while being in jail. What? Why? Why would he do that? It's only hurting himself. Yeah. He's not gaining anything. He's literally locked up. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the more savvy uh, Ohioans. Oh, God, now we're at this again. Oh, is it Ohioans? Oh, oh. Ohio? Ohio? Ohioans, oh. right? Ohioans, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the more savvy Ohioans, a journalist by the name of Martin Yant, uncovered more information about a possible suspect in the letter writing and Mary Gillespie's attempted murder. He discovered that on the same day Mary found the booby trap sign, a suspicious man was seen at the spot standing next to a yellow El Camino. Another bus driver on Mary's route claimed they saw this man only 20 minutes before the incident, and as the bus drove by, the man even made sure to kind of turn his head the other way. It was then found that the brother of the prime suspect in the letter writing owned the same type of car. The description the bus driver gave did not match Paul Freshour, who had an alibi for the specific time. But the description in the card did match the new boyfriend of Paul's ex-wife. Mm. Who was possibly the man seen standing next to the El Camino in the booby trap that day. If that's the case, you you know, you know, boyfriends, you know, especially newer ones, they'll do a lot of things for some, for some vajayjay. Yeah, so what? Oh my, so did, like, did Karen do that to set up Paul? Could this have been Karen's deal all along? Remember when they were writing the retaliation letters, the five letters? Yeah. Who did they have write those letters? Paul. Wow. Ooh. Ooh, uh, that's grimy. 
who would know where Paul kept a twenty-five caliber pistol in his garage and have access to steal it? His sweet old little lady. Yep. Yep. Wow. And naturally, so is the boyfriend the one that he that she cheated on her? You would assume so, right? Or, yeah, you would or, hope. Or maybe she's on to the next one. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I mean, shit. Okay, so they had Paul write the letters. Paul's gun was found in the booby trap. I, I feel like I feel like Karen set up Paul, especially if she got kicked out of the house and he got custody of the babies. I feel Karen like... Karen had a little chip on her shoulder. Yes. Karen... Um, you know, she was losing everything. When Paul went to jail, she got everything. The Fucking house, Karen. the kids, everything. I think Mary and Karen, little hoochies from the beginning. And wow, little hoochie mamas. They're both cheating on their men, trying to c- and come up with some sort of plan to accomplish whatever the fuck they were trying to accomplish. Maybe they're like secret lovers and they wanted to be with each other. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, oh, but then it's like, who killed, who killed Rowan? I don't, Karen, maybe? I don't know. There's, um, well, it's not over yet. Okay. Good news. December 1993, Dr. Ray Carroll, age 72, charged with 12 counts, eight of them allegedly gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. Paul Freshour would eventually be paroled in May of 1994 and continue to maintain his innocence. In 1999, Mary Gillespie's former co-worker, Mr. David Longberry, he became a wanted fugitive after raping an 11-year-old girl. <gasps> And would later commit suicide while on the run. What? Yo, what do they put in the water out there? <sighs> well, the fucking river's on fire all the time, so... Well, there we go. So oil oil and cold. shit, yeah. Uh, if you're wondering what I'm talking about when I keep saying the river's on fire out there, um, you, you can look it up. It's like the Chattahooger, no... It, it's one of those uh, Native American type names. Whatever river they have out there, it, it was literally on fire for like years and they couldn't do anything about it. Check it out. Check it out. Anyhow. Anyhow. Uh, wrapping this up, according to information uncovered by Martin Yant, the only one thinking around here, it was suggested that there was at least three letter writers involved. None of them being Paul Freshour. One was believed to be, you ready for this? Oh God, hit me. The son of Gordon Massey, the super, the superintendent of Westfall Schools. Oh my God, the story just keeps... (laughs) It was believed he was angry over his father's affair and was trying to split them up with the first set of letters. The second was believed to be Mary Gillespie's co-worker, David Longberry, who was infatuated with her and vowed revenge after she rejected his advances. See, I could, I could see that one. I could see that one. Yeah, especially when he went off and, and raped somebody. And I, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh. Raped a little girl. That's, girl. Yeah. Ooh, I hope his body is having fun burning down. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. The third is believed to be Paul Freshour's ex-wife, Karen, who used the original letters in a plot to frame her ex-husband. Despite the evidence, Paul, the police still maintain that Paul was the Circleville writer, and no one was ever charged with the death of Ron Gillespie. Poor Paul, man. He kept his dick in his pants, and he's the one that got fucked over. Yeah, yeah. Paul and Ron are the uh, true losers in this story for sure. Wow. No, they're they're unfortunately, you know, they're the they're the ones that got shorthanded. The losers are fucking Karen and Mary. Well, yeah. Man. Yeah. Fucking pieces of shit. You little sleuth and sleuth. One more little turn in this story. Uh, when the the show Unsolved Mysteries caught wind of it, uh-huh. and they, they did their little episode on it, uh, Mary and the sheriff both declined to speak to the show. And they did their show, and about a month later, the offices of Unsolved Mysteries got a postcard written in block letters warning them to stay out of Circleville, Ohio, to leave Sheriff Radcliffe alone, and uh, something about, like, it said, call them El Sickos. If you El Sickos come back, like, you'll pay the price or something like that. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Wow, when was this? Uh, that would be in the 90s when that show was going. 90s? But it's believed that that letter was completely, like, different. Um, especially the the term El Sicko's kind of threw everybody off. Wow. But that's it. That is the Circleville letter writer. Man, I stand by my point. Ohio, you are... You're that sore thumb in the United States. Man, get you're your shit together. Get your shit yeah. together. Oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> Oh, man. So many turns of that story. Right? So no. hard. The first, the, I had to, the first, I'd go over it a couple times, like, holy. Yeah. I'm sitting over here and I'm like, wow, we just did a whole full circle back. And so my theory, I think Karen was thin on it. I think so. I think I could buy I, that maybe. Yeah, I, I, I really like Yant's theory, to be honest. Um, I, I really like the. I believe the superintendent's son could have started it, but I, I, I highly believe Karen piggybacked off that and caused all See, that bullshit. I think that it was Mr. Longberry who started it. You think and so? And I think, yeah, I think because, it could you be. know, jealousy will make you do some crazy shit, man, especially lust. And, like, if you're working close with them and they probably had that, like, close relationship where she shared the information or maybe who knows what. And I feel like he started it and then Karen's little bitch ass, she piggybacked off of it. She can't even think of her own goddamn ideas. I think she piggybacked off of it and was like, well, this is a cool way that, you know, I can get back on my husband and I can get everything back. Yep, yep. You fucking bitch. Wow. You fucking Karen. That's why she's she's the original Karen. That's she is the original fucking Karen. Fucking Karen. She's the original one. Fucking Karen. Oh man. Oh. Wow. Well, I know what I just hope that wherever I end up in my future life, I don't run into people who 
are like Miss Karen and Miss Mary. Yeah, I'm I'm staying away from Ohio. It's... Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think I I have no drive in me to ever see Cleveland or Ohio or any. Part. You know, the only reason I would go, and I'm still not going to, would be that's where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the the Pro Football Hall of Fame are. Like what? Why? Why Ohio? Why? Why are these Hall of Fames out there? And they're not even in the same city. Because if they didn't, Ohio would literally have nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like maybe if they were both in Cleveland, I could like make that trip and like go to the two Hall. But they're not. They're like, because isn't it pro isn't footballs in Browns? In, yeah, the Browns are Cleveland's team. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is in Clarence, Ohio. I think something like that. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland, I believe. And then yeah, they're, they're two. They have two football teams that both suck: the Bengals and the Browns. <laughs> oh, Ohio, we love you, but man, you guys got an interesting fucking state. Let me just you are the you, you are the dumpster fire of America. Yeah, like I wonder what I wonder what happened to them. There, I don't know. I don't know. So I have yet to meet a sane person too from Ohio. Like yeah. when I hear someone say I'm from Ohio, like my eyebrow goes up, and I'm like, I got my eye on you. Yeah. <laughs> And earlier when I said my buddy from Ohio, it really it was just a guy I worked with from Ohio and he ended up been in a snake in the grass now that we mention it. So, uh, yeah, fuck him, too. Oh, yeah. Fuck that. Uh, anyhow. 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 Man, well, that's it. That's that's the story. <laughs> so, like like I said, not I feel like it's not as creepy as The Watcher, but, man, is that a story. Yeah, it's not as creepy, but... A lot more meat on the bones than The Watcher. Yeah, that yeah. one was meaty. It's, yeah. not, it's juicy. Yeah, real juicy. That was a juicy it's one. A juicy, juicy. Yeah, that was, no, it was a juicy one. Ooh, but that was like... Man, I just feel grimy. Like, I have to go take a shower after listening to that story. Uh, yeah, yeah. So much, like, promiscuousness and lying and back scratching. Right? Oh, I wonder if, like, their fingers were raw from scratching each other's back. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. wonder if they, like, dug down to, like, pass the first layer of skin. Yeah, and I know I always, when we get into stories like this, I always talk about the West, West Memphis Three. It's just the same shit, like, corruption up in the judicial system, and it's terrible how it, it fucks innocent people's lives, and it's just terrible. And that's one thing I've noticed, like, the more stories that we do and just doing, like, the research and talking about different topics, especially back in the early, like, no, like, mid-1900s, like, the late, um, it's corrupt as fuck. And I think it still is now, but, like, man, those small towns. Yeah, when there was no... If you're not good with the sheriff, you're fucked. You're fucked. You might as well just go pack up all your shit and hit the road. Hit the fucking road. Hit the road, Jack. Oh, man. You don't want to come back. <laughs> no more, no more, no more. Ah. Oh. Well, um, I was supposed to do this on the last episode, but I, I forgot. But it doesn't matter. We're doing it now. Um, we're going to be going out with, uh, with a song today from uh, our good friend Josh Hart. <gasps> Mr. Joshua Hart. Oh, Mr. Joshua Hart. And oh. his... His new song, I Liked You Before. Yo, this song. I love it. I have all my friends downloaded it. It's a good song. It's a check, good song. Check it out. And Josh told me that with this song, he made it like within a day. Damn. I know. I was like, talented, talented. Talented ass talented. motherfucker. Talented motherfucker. And so. uh, while we're plugging people, 
I'm gonna go ahead and plug the Enlighten Lounge because we're back up. And oh, yeah, I was gonna say I saw a new new little episode pop up in my yeah. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yeah, so we're back up and running. New episode will be out this upcoming Monday. So now you can listen to my lovely voice every single week. Uh, <laughs> twice, twice the onions, twice as nice. Staying on your mind. Oh, <laughs> there she goes again. There she goes again. Somebody calm me down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, make sure um, you check out Josh on Spotify and iTunes Music. He is under Josh Hartco, all one word. Josh Hart, H-A-R-T-C-O. Josh Hartco. Um, make sure you follow us at SP Weird World on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow me at Greg's Weird World on Instagram. And you can follow my lovely but not as cute as me co-host at Anya Daniela at Instagram. Huzzah. Huzzah. And um, I'll give out one last go pack go, even though we're we're out for the season. I'm proud of you boys. Thank you. I'll switch it up. Go Avs, go. Go Avs, go. Why not? Switch I don't have a hockey team. Actually, fuck it. I, I'm... Nah, I don't know. I don't want to be that guy. I was going to say, yeah. go, go Vegas Knights, but, you know, I'm from Vegas, but, you know, they're, they're really not my team. I don't care. I mean, I'm not from Vegas, but their inaugural season, they have they have a fan from me. That I shit mean, was dope. That was pretty yo, cool. Yeah, that was cool. I give it up to Vegas for that. Yeah. So, other than that, I'm going to need you guys to do one more thing. Go ahead and, and keep it weird. <laughs> I like how each week it's just getting progressively weirder. Weirder and weirder. <laughs> All right, enjoy this song from Josh Hart. Blinds and hide away